Consecutive victories this week extended United's winning run to six in a row, raising them to joint third in the Premier League with a game in hand on Newcastle. This week, we take a look at the improvements to the side that have underpinned United's dominant but far from perfect wins over Wolves and Bournemouth. Case, how likely do you think United are to retain the Premier League title next season? I think I think we, we have to be pretty optimistic <laughs> about it, right? Especially after uh, such an impressive title charge. No, in, in all seriousness, um, I, I don't know. Have to be happy about four wins from four coming straight out of that World Cup. No bad showings, I would say. Uh, what about you? What, what, how are you feeling about the recent performances uh, and the, the, the five point gap from, from fifth, which is huge. Yeah, that's massive. And nine points off Arsenal is also massive as much as I don't think United will win the league. Um, But I also feel like it's, it's definitely a case of United have played three of the bottom, like six sides in the league since coming back and also a championship team. Um, and so I I don't really want to get carried away. The one thing I will say is um, this is far and away better than some of the performances United were producing earlier in the season against sides that I thought were really weak at that time. Sides like Southampton, Leicester. United were pretty shaky in those games, whereas in these games, I think they were comfortably the better side. And that's definitely something that we're going to talk about today, um, but also something that I think think is a good sign going forward um and with that i think we should start with the wolves game so i mean as a as a precursor i watched this game back in case watched back the the bournemouth game honestly i think people underestimate them because their attack has been so poor over the last few years they have a lot of really good players i think they recruited relatively well in the summer with players like Matthias nunch and um nathan collins and I think they're a pretty difficult team to beat. And the main reason why they're this low in the table is because they can't score. Big problem in football. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it would be really disappointing to lose this game. But I think their main goal was to prevent United from winning this game. Especially with a coach like Lopetegui. We know what he's like. Um, and I think it's a testament to United's progress that they actually largely dominated this game. Um, the two main caveats being they didn't completely dominate this game and they were not really able to create a lot of really good chances in this match that weren't just Wolves errors. Um, and I think those are the two main things that we're going to end up talking about today. We spoke about United playing in sort of two codes with John. Um, and, and to recap, one of those was when United are pressed really high, they tend to just kick the ball long from De Gea and try to win second balls or or long balls um, with players like Rashford and Alanga getting onto them. And when they're not pressed, they kind of try to play out of the back a little bit more organically, get De Gea to play the ball into the defenders who are much better on the ball and then have those defenders play out of the back. In this case, the center backs were Luke Shaw and Rafael Varane. And this was one game where United did not really struggle to play out of the back and reach the final third because Wolves weren't really pressing. 
with that being said, I feel like the problems start when they reach the final third. I think probably a lot of people listening are going to say, well, I feel like United have been breaking down these low box because we've, we've scored in all of these, these matches against poor teams that you associate with playing low lines. Um, yeah, so I think, I think we first have to address that before we can talk about what you and I think about it. So what would your answer to that be? What makes you say that United have been struggling to break down these low blocks? Because at the surface level, it doesn't look like that if you were to look at score lines. Yeah, so a couple of things. First of all, everyone struggles to break down low blocks. Like, I think a large amount of Pep Guardiola's time in England can be defined by what tactical changes has he made to City to allow them to continue to pummel a low block without conceding chances in transition. That's basically the main development in his tactical game since he joined. So this is not an issue that's unique to United. It's not like a thing of United are terrible against low blocks and Liverpool, Arsenal, and City are just destroying them every week. That's not the case. The second thing is the difference between breaking a low block at nil-nil versus breaking a low block in a winning situation is vast because... At 1-0, the opposition need to score to get anything out of the game. Whereas at 0-0, for a team like United, their main incentive is not conceding, not allowing United to score. If you were to look at the marginal probabilities at 0-0, in most games United play of getting a goal, they're more likely to score than the opposition. Which means that the opposition stand to benefit, like, or, or stand to be in a good position by not conceding, whereas United stand to be in a bad position from not scoring. And that totally skews the incentives in a game. And the reason why that's important in this particular case is because against Nottingham Forest and against Wolves, sorry, not Wolves, against Nottingham Forest and against Bournemouth, United got the breakthrough from a set piece. I think that's a key point here. Yeah. Yeah, that's not to undermine set pieces, right? That's not to say set piece goals don't count. United have been horrible from set pieces for years and... Recently, they've had relative success from set pieces, and that's a welcome development because it actually does decide games when, you know, you can't break down a low block or when you can't score an open play. And that's a big deal, right? But set pieces are largely defended and attacked the same regardless of opposition of what team you play against. They're more even across the league than open play, and they don't lead to a high proportion of goals in domestic football. Most goals are scored in open play. So even though United have had relative success against Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest in these last few games, breaking them down, a lot of those have come off the back of being able to get an initial set-piece goal that takes the score to 1-0. And then against Wolves, I think they struggled tremendously to break down this low block other than a couple of chances one of which was Garnacho's 1v1 that came from basically an error that Nelson Semedo shouldn't have made. And then the other one, the other ones being like small headers that Martial missed or Anthony missed, which are good chances and they're good to be created, but they're not like, you should be scoring these. We broke down their defense. So the point is United didn't create, United didn't create a ton in this game. I think they deserve to win. I don't think they battered Wolves. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that, which I think would be more important to talk about than specifically the chances and whether they should or shouldn't have gone in based on the numbers. So what you're saying, Aaron, 
if I'm understanding this right, and if our viewers understand, our listeners are understanding this right, is that United created some chances against Wolves, but they didn't create so many that they put themselves in a situation where they were almost guaranteed to win the game. They didn't at nil-nil before Rashford's goal. So basically what you're saying is there's been some reliance here to a certain extent on early goals in order to open up games and make them you know, blow out wins. As opposed to if you look at the Wolves game, the early goal doesn't come. Partially because we created fewer chances early on than we did against Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest, both of which are worse defensive teams than Wolves. But also partially just for finishing reasons, it's something that happens. You get big chances, you don't always take them. And as a result, this Wolves match was closer. Yes. So, yeah, let me put this plainly, right? Wolves are a better team than Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth. I believe that they were coached, or these displays were better coached than the Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth displays against United. I believe they're better at holding possession and making it difficult to dominate games than Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth. And as a result, as well as not having a set piece to go in, United struggled a lot more in this match. And it gives a very different indicator of the other two games as to where United actually are um, in terms of progress. Which is, I think they are better than most sides in the league and have the better of most of these games, which is massive progress. But there are a couple of things that are preventing them from totally dominating these games. Okay, so let's get into it then. What was the problem in the Wolves match? First thing I want to talk about is the press. Um, And we've talked, again, we've talked about this in that episode with John. United don't really commit their fullbacks in the press. Um, And I think they paid more for it in this game than in the other games. So what Wolves were doing was, like I said to you before we started recording, they spread their back four extremely wide, um, create a lot of distance between their players. And as we were explaining before, when United play against a back four, their front three is responsible for marking the back four, which means that the opposition tend to have a spare man. In this case, it's either, I think it was Garnacho at left wing, who is marking between um, Collins and, was it Johnny, or, or Semedo, who's Wolves' right yeah. back. And then, you know, um, the other winger was Anthony, who is marking between Kilman and uh, Bueno, Wolves' other left-sided players, and Martial picking up the other center back. And because they created so much space between those guys, it's not... Like, obviously, I think there are situations where Garnacho and to a lesser extent, Anthony can do better in this press, but it's not possible for one player to cleanly mark out two opposition players who are spread apart wide in isolated scenarios. You're not going to have an extremely effective press based on one guy marking two guys in the opposition's first line. That's not going to happen. And so... And on top of that, Wolves' midfielders are very press-resistant. So they're able to drop a little bit in and receive the ball um, ahead of guys like Bruno and Eriksen, who are the ones pressing them, and then play out to the spare man, as well as the keepers able to play the chip ball to the fullback. So because of that, Wolves were able to play out of the back in this match relatively comfortably. And then to complete the connection, you know, and this is getting increasingly obvious here, but it's like, 
why does Wolves being able to play out of the back matter in United's domination of the game Because if they can't create? And the reason is because United are now gaining the ball in deeper areas, which means they have to build more, and Wolves have more time to settle the defense when United win the ball back. And straight up, United have less time on the ball. They have less time to spend in Wolves' final third trying to break down their defense. So that was the number one reason why I think United were, you know, a 55% possession um, and not as effective at creating chances to break down this Wolves side versus a 65% possession and you're ripping through them, right? Because you're winning the ball back in higher areas. And in fairness, Wolves' midfielders and their goalkeeper and their center backs and, and even their fullbacks are European level on the ball, right? They're, they could, they have and could play in the Champions League and Europa League. Like, they're they're really good players. So it's not like you're just struggling against a bad team and it's all United's fault. But so um, I'd say that's, like, the main reason. Okay, so I hear what you're saying, but bear with me here. Don't you think that the fact that Wolves tried to and did maintain more possession should have opened up more transitional opportunities? And in fact, I know that it did, but we, for some reason, created less from those transitions. Um, why do you think that was? That's an interesting one. One is I think their rest defense is better than... Um, than Again, Forrest and Bournemouth. Like, Can I think you define they're good. rest defense? Because I'm not sure we've done that yeah. on this podcast. So rest defense is essentially the things you do defensively while you are attacking. Like it's the, when you have the ball and are, you're, the team that has the ball is an attacking team. And the team that does not have the ball is the defensive team. Rest defense is what the attacking team does to ensure defensive stability in the event that they lose the ball. Wolves do that better than other teams. Um, and better is a is a subjective term, right? So I'll say better means Wolves do more to ensure rest defense than Forrest and Bournemouth did in these games. Um, and part of that is their fullbacks and midfielders taking up complementary positions when they're in possession. So managing the number of players they commit forward and therefore making it difficult for United to transition quickly um, and find free men. Um, in the Bournemouth and Forest games, especially when those teams are chasing a goal, United would often win the ball back and just have loads of options in the final third that they could pick out. And I think we'll talk later about how in the Bournemouth game, they actually they actually could have made more of those transition opportunities and completely pasted them later in the match. Um, the other thing is, I don't think the execution was that good in this match in transition. Um, Anthony was the one who got a lot of attention for just misplacing simple passes that he would normally complete in transition. This is something we talked about after the Forest game last week. It happened again in this Wolves game. I think Bruno and Casemiro are also big culprits. Like They just tend to give away the ball in relatively simple situations. Um, I think you often have these moves now with United where they're getting better as a possession team. So you'll see a lot of nice one-touch moves where United get up the pitch pretty quickly. But then Bruno or Casemiro will, in a in an attempt to continue to raise the pace of play, give the ball away on a one-touch pass instead of maybe taking a second to look and pick out the next option because they're not actually under pressure. Um, I think they were both sub 85% pass completion over like more than 50 passes in this match, which normal for Bruno, but for Casemiro, probably not typical for a player of his position and and the types of passes he attempts. Um, 
yeah, I think those are the two main reasons. Um, if I were to put a number three, I would say Rashford wasn't playing for large stretches of this match. Rashford is United's most productive player in transition. These days, he's United's most productive player against a block. But we we know about Rashford's ability to essentially take games to teams when he has a little bit more space and time um, against defenses. Okay. I agree with all those points, but there's one that you didn't mention that I kind of expected you to mention, which was the fact that there were multiple transitional moments where Martial dropped deep, picked up the ball, fed either Anthony or Garnacho in wide areas, and then didn't recover into the box. And Oh yeah, I've been sending you those all morning. Yeah, you ha- exactly. I was, I was trying to set you up for it, but you just did you weren't you weren't there for it. But yeah, I think this is you know, this is something I harp on a lot. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you're probably sick of me talking about it. It's just the fact that United, what they really need at center forward... Well, let me back up. Early on in the season, Ronaldo was eating up a lot of minutes at center forward. And we were all getting very frustrated by basically his inability to execute technically on the ball. And so Martial was a breath of fresh air in that when he was healthy and ready, he was executing on the ball. Um, he, he looked fresh for the first time in years, really. Um, and he was linking play in a way that was much more effective than what Ronaldo was capable of. Fast forward, Ronaldo's, uh, Martial has put together a few you know, consecutive appearances. Uh, he's still doing the link play at a pretty high level. However, we're sort, sort of starting to see what he lacks in 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 greater part and what he lacks is that box occupation and more than that sort of just the commitment to uh being an option consistently on the last line in between center backs especially in crowds he likes to he likes to run into space if he sees like a clear uh pocket that he can attack uh at speed and and then receive on sort of a uncontested, he'll do that. <clears throat> but in situations where, you know, maybe there's two or three defenders in the box and it's really more about evening the numbers up and giving yourself, a, giving the team a chance to get a boot on the end of something and score as opposed to getting a clean look, he's much less willing to do that. He's much more interested in, interested in space seeking the way someone like a winger or an attacking midfielder might. What this does is you have instances where if Martial, who's playing center forward, were to make a, a sort of an unselfish run to the six-yard box, he would open up space behind him. Um, and I think we saw a few instances of that where he could have done that, especially in that Wolves match, failed to, and it left Garnacho um, or Bruno or Eriksen without the space that they otherwise would have had to have scored a goal. I'm going to rant now. I'm sorry, Aaron. I see that you have something to say, but... The flip side of that we saw against Bournemouth, uh, the second goal that Shaw scored was actually an instance where, in transition, Martial um, recovers to the last line, uh, drives into the six-yard box off the ball, and that's what open up, opens up the space for Shaw to just tap it in, uncontested, um, and it's a great goal. And a huge part of it is something Martial does that I don't think I think probably most people's eyes weren't on him at all during that move. Um, but it was key. It, Shaw never scores that goal if Martial just sort of sits back 
lurks at the edge of the area and tries to be the player who gets on the end of the cutback himself because nobody else is making the run to clear space. Yeah, and there are a lot of situations like that in the in the Wolves game where Martial is occupying the position of someone else who can already be where he is, essentially, and be available for that essentially easy pass for the player who's taking on the fullback, typically Garnacho or Anthony. But what he should be is the player making a run in behind, whether that run opens up a pass to him to get him behind and score, or forces the defense to track him and therefore create space for that pass to go to Erickson or Malasia, I think there was one, um, or Bruno, right? And Martial doesn't do that. Um, I think we harp on this a lot, both on Twitter and on this podcast, about last line movement and strikers and what a striker is supposed to do. Um, and that was the second big point of why United couldn't break down this block is because Martial, and to a lesser extent, players like Bruno and Garnacho. None of them were really committing the last line and giving options on the ball, especially to Anthony, who a lot of, I think, the actions that people were frustrated with were sort of missed sideways passes that, that killed United's flow. But they all came from situations where Anthony was taking on the defense and did not have, like, he, he does the same thing every time. He cuts it onto his left, and then he looks in behind. He looks at the back post. Can I cross the back post? He looks at the shot. Can I take the shot? And then he looks at the line that's just like slightly inside of him, which is either the striker or Wambasaka, who, to be fair to him, was actually making runs. Um, and Anthony will look up and not see that that run is available and then try to pass sideways, which is so much more predictable as a defense to deal with than having a player run in behind. And... Sorry, you said Anthony will look and then not see that that pass is available? Will he not see that that pass is available, or will he see that that pass is not available? Because those are two different things, and it's an important distinction. Is the pass he on, sees and that he's the pass it? is not on. Okay. Because he... Okay, if you watch Ajax, Anthony cuts in, and there's at least two runs being made. At least. One is usually Masrawi, I would say, which is Ajax's right back. He's making the run that allows Anthony to play the simple ball ahead of him and behind. Like you can, Anthony does this so much. You, I'm, I'm, this is a podcast, but I'm like imploring you to visually imagine this, right? Anthony cuts in. He has the ball, edge of the box, just outside. Run number one is the right back makes the run behind the left back of the opposition. And as that ball is being made, Anthony can play it. It doesn't matter if the right back goes offside. It doesn't matter if Anthony plays the ball because that run opens space in front of the box. Number two is the striker who needs to be making either a front post run or a back post run. Those two are mandatory every single time. Juan Basako is making his run. Martial is not making his run in this game. The other optional runs tend to be a midfielder arriving at the edge of the box. I think Bruno and Eriksson were largely there. Um... It, the winger crashing the back post in the event that the striker crashes the front post. Garnacho missed that run a few times. And sometimes you even get fullbacks. Like, I think Daly Blind made quite a few runs for Ajax to actually score goals in the Champions League or or make really big creative actions. Um, and those types of runs are like the fullback either, again, sees the run to the back post or comes towards the edge of the box, right? And that's how Ajax crashed teams. They would isolate the either Anthony or Masrawi and then have multiple runners crashing the box. And that's what United need to get to doing with Anthony. 
And this is super important, not only with Anthony, but with Sancho, because that's exactly what Sancho did at Dortmund, right? He picked up the ball in the half space, cut it onto his right from his left, and then there were three runs that he could try and pick out. And until United make those types of runs, they won't score these goals. They won't break down these teams consistently. They won't win titles. And it's really easy to blame Anthony and Sancho and say, oh, we should play Garnacho and Rashford because they can run at the defense. And like Garnacho has been really good. Rashford has been amazing. But you need to be able to make these runs in behind to consistently get high, high quality chances against these teams. Um, and, I, and the reason why we harp on this so often is because it's, it is totally a misconception. Because again, when I see people talking about Martial's performance, they are critical, but they're critical because he missed the header against Bournemouth, right? There was this play where he he swings the ball out wide uh, to Wambasaka. Wambasaka makes a nice pass back to Casemiro, who lifts it over the defense onto Martial's head in the pretty much edge of the six yard box. It's and like Martial misses. Uh, the he's header. like almost fully in the six yard box. It's it's point. Blank, it's a right? good play, but it, that's a but that's an excellent play from Martial. Exactly. Martial I was actually going to mention it later. It's yeah. some of the best striker play Martial's done all season. And it, it's really something that like elite strikers do. It's something Lewandowski does. It's something Benzema does. Um, dropping deep, linking play, and then immediately recovering to the last line and pushing the last line deep. Um, and then sometimes, you know, sometimes you get rewarded yourself. And that's what happened to Martial. He got rewarded himself just so you missed the chance. But that's not the point. Because if you keep doing that consistently, you'll score a bunch of goals and it won't matter. I'm going to rewind from Martial, though. What you were saying about Anthony and Sancho. Sancho is sort of a different conversation now because I, you know. He so was not informed. He was not informed regardless. and clearly something else is going on. And yeah, you, you don't you don't step away from the team unless there's something else going on. So uh, I definitely understand why people feel that Sancho should be out of the picture uh, at the moment. Fair enough. As for Anthony. Totally agree with what you were saying about those runs. In particular, Holler, uh, Sebastian Holler, who I'm not particularly a fan of, but he scored gobs of goals for that team. Uh, and a big part of it was he was just a tower hitting the back post for Anthony over and over and over again. And he scored goals from Anthony's crosses, probably eight or nine uh, during his time, uh, during their time playing together. Um, so that's a big thing. And that's something Martial doesn't do. Um, that's something really no striker that plays for United does. Honestly, I think Alanga probably does it more than anyone else. I, I remember a goal he scored, I think, against Burnley last year, or maybe it was Villa, where Fred cut in from the right and played sort of an in-swinging ball for Alanga that he scored. And that's that's the kind of run um, that we're missing. But obviously, Alanga isn't going to tower over anyone and, and score a contested header. Um Otherwise, as for Anthony, another talking point that I think is interesting is if you were to look at a pass map from the Wolves match as opposed to the Bournemouth match. We scored more against Bournemouth. Um, However, I would say we were a lot more erratic in possession, especially early on in the game when we had more control. Uh, And a big part of that is we were anemic on the right side. And you were talking about... uh, well, well, we'll get into this more later, but we 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 wound up having a lopsided shape because although Bruno played well in the Bournemouth match, 
his ball retention at right wing just pales in comparison to Anthony's, um, who's much more comfortable when he's isolated at far out wide. And as a result, we built exclusively down the left. Uh, we really very, very rarely built down the right. And when we did, it was mostly building down the left, switching onto the right. The whole Sancho thing with Garnacho and Rashford, that's a substantive conversation, I think. I don't think there's like a substantive conversation to be had about Anthony not playing on the right. Um, even when he's sloppy, like he's been, uh, he's so important to team shape. And he's, again, I think being disserviced by some of the tendencies of the other players, like you mentioned, to the, to the extent that I don't think I don't think we've A, realized his full potential impact on the team, and B, I don't think people realize his full impact at present on the team. Yeah, I agree with both of those. And to be fair, I don't want to create a straw man here and suggest that people have been calling in mass for Anthony to be dropped, because I don't think they have. Um, it's just a note of, you know, we're talking about creating against these blocks, I think Anthony's execution has been a big talking point in the last since the World Cup, basically. And against low blocks, you don't have a ton of time on the ball. You don't have a ton of space. And Anthony is not a winger, at least not yet, with elite level burst or 1v1 ability, who's going to create tons of time for himself. Those types of players are rare anyways you need to be able to read the cue when he makes that exact movie makes every time and create the three options for him or the two options for him, because that's how you're going to create in these games. Um, it really is as simple as there is a time pretty much every time he cuts in where the runs open up and you have to make them and United will be much more effective. And last week we even talked about how um, Anthony played the pass a few times and just went out for a goal kick, right, against Nottingham Forest. And the reason is because he expects the players to be making the run. It's not just about, you know, it's not just about passing. It's about you need somewhere to pass. You need someone to pass to. Um, yeah, and I, th- that's just a big component of, of creating against these teams that I think uh, that I think is currently not working with Martial. Um, before we switch to Bournemouth, and probably go to a break. The other thing I wanted to say about Martial is, in spite of all this, I do think replacing him is an interesting battle. Because, um, and, okay, side rant. I think we tend to talk a lot about Bruno's weaknesses, despite him being probably our best player, best attacker. Um, And I don't mean to harp on Bruno or or say Bruno is, is weak. I think it's a case of, United have a really unique player in Bruno who is obviously a big contributor but has clear weaknesses that need to be facilitated. Um, And one of those issues is carrying under pressure and carrying in general, dribbling ability. And I think when Martial plays, we see a massive difference in United's ability to progress and retain the ball centrally in advanced areas. Um, Often we even run plays where Martial will drop in the first phase like when the ball is with the center backs and show to receive with Bruno and Rashford running beyond him. And I think that has been a really good workaround to the issue of 
Bruno wanting to only have one touch and immediately release the ball, not really handling pressure that well, um, and not being able to carry. So Martial needs to be replaced, but I think how United go about replacing him is a pretty interesting issue because you need a striker who can both crash the box, create high-quality shots, but also be able to receive, draw fouls, and work on the dribble. Um, or you need to get that from somewhere else in the team, and I don't really think you're getting it from Rashford. You might get a little bit of it from Antony, but I don't don't think he's so strong um, at receiving with back-to-goal either. So where that comes from in the team without Martial is a is something that I think needs to be addressed before United go and splash $100 million on his replacement. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't say Antony is... Um... I wouldn't want him holding up the ball against center backs, but I yeah. think he's actually, I think maybe his key contribution to the team when he's not, you know, being particularly creative is the fact that his ball retention with his back to goal is very good in wide areas. Um, that's yeah. not really important though. Uh, let's go to a break and then uh, we'll talk Bournemouth. Yeah, sounds good. All right, welcome back. Now that we discussed United's league-winning barriers against Wolves, <laughs> we're going to move on to Bournemouth and talk about why they showed they're totally going to win the league in this game. So, Bournemouth, a pretty different proposition to Wolves. We already talked a lot about how the set piece definitely changed a lot of the perception of this game. Um, but I think the main sort of strength that Bournemouth had over Wolves was that they deployed... I'd say a relatively high press. They still let De Gea play into the first line, but then they pressed that line pretty aggressively. Um, and United had rotated a lot in this game. So in the Wolves game, it was Varane and Shaw. And Shaw was basically doing a Lissandro Martinez impression and build up, I would say. He carries a little bit more, but the dynamics are pretty similar to what United have been playing for most of the season. Whereas in this Bournemouth game, United went with Maguire and Lindelof. And Maguire and Lindelof were the ones who were facing this press. Um, and, and you're the one who rewatched this game. So I'm going to go to you about, you know, issues that United had breaking down this Bournemouth press, uh, despite having a lot of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, you know, I would say that the lineup, uh, was a bit ugly in comparison to what we've grown accustomed to during this good run, uh, recently, uh, in that, you know, Wamasaka was in for Dallow. That's been the past few matches, but I think that limits our ability to progress down the right side on its own, especially... it's Yeah, it's more important when you're playing a press, I would say. I agree. Um, but regardless, uh, I think it limits your pa- like passing range from the right side um, and sort of the variety of spaces where your, your right back is going to be receiving the ball uh, in build-up. That on its own isn't ideal, but then you lose Antony to injury uh, and you wind up having to <clears throat> move Bruno out wide. I already talked about this, so I won't go into too much detail again, but that really caused shape issues on the right and forced us to move down the left. If you move over to the left, changing our focus now, 
We have two right-footed center backs in this match. Right side is problematic uh, because we're missing our, you know, our, our two best right-sided ball progressors. On the left side, we don't have a left-footed le- uh, left center back, which we that, that was the case under Ali for the entire time uh, he was manager. However, it's still suboptimal, um, and it created some angle issues, especially Lindelof looked more uncomfortable there than I think McGuire typically does. Uh, even though there are reasons to field McGuire at right center back, uh, I still think this wasn't the ideal solution. Um, and it really what it forced us into doing was giving the ball to Shaw over and over and over again and asking him to play the ball diagonally into midfield, um, which we did wind up doing. Uh, but it, it just, the fewer options you have uh, to get the ball forward, uh, the less you're going to get the ball forward. And I think that's what we saw. So this first half, uh, I wouldn't say we created a lot of chances. And the reason for that was our struggles to progress the ball at, at pace. Um, however, uh, I still think it was a good first half. And I think the gaffer agrees with me that it was better than the second half, despite the fact that we created far more chances in the second half. And that's because Bournemouth had basically nothing in the first half. And we were in their half with the ball uh, for the majority of, of those 45 minutes. Uh, and ultimately, even though you want to create more chances and you talked about the, the issue that is relying on set pieces to, to break open the opposition, if you give up absolutely no chances and you stay in the opposition half consistently, you will probably... You will probably you definitely have a good chance of, of going home with three points. Um, and I think that's sort of what we saw. And especially since maybe we're, we're starting to see the beginnings of United becoming a, a, a real attacking set-piece threat because we've seen us score uh, a great rehearsed set-piece against uh, Forrest. And now we've seen another good re- rehearsed set-piece uh, scored by Casemiro in this match. That puts you in a really good position uh, when you can be really defensively solid and just completely suffocate a team. And then essentially through attrition, uh, get yourself to a point where you can create a few chances. And that's what happened. And obviously we put that chance away, which is big. If you miss it, it changes the game drastically. But um, I think when your base against these really bad teams becomes give up nothing. And then, you know, try, try again in the final third, even if a lot of the tendencies are suboptimal. That's a really, it's a much better basis for winning these matches, a much more consistent basis for winning these matches than we had under Ali. Yeah, so that's the first half. Any any thoughts there, Aaron, based on, on what I said there? A lot of thoughts. So firstly, I think going back to the point about pressing, where United don't commit the fullbacks, I think this is a big amount of the basis for that, where it's, we are not going to give away anything and then try and break them down from that platform. Being committing into a press is accepting that once in a while it's going to be broken, and you're essentially going. We want to outcreate the opposition by a larger margin than we already are. Um, what United are doing now is we want to outcreate the opposition and then limit the amount of um, the amount of essentially variability of outcomes that they can create. Yeah. So trying to have their cake and if eat I were it to- too. 
yeah, put it, putting a number on this, right? You will probably win more matches creating 1.5 XG per 90 and conceding, you know, 0.75 XG per 90, a difference of 0.75, than you will creating 1 XG per 90 and conceding 0.5, which is a 0.5 difference. But if they have 0.5, if they have 0.75 XG, which typically will come with more shots than 0.5 XG, they're likely to have, you're likely to have matches where you concede way more goals because they've taken more shots and sometimes the shots go in. Um, and so as long as United are not an elite creative team, perhaps, you know, hedging their bets on being effective but not spectacular in the press is a calculated gamble. So what you're saying is this approach that we have in the press right now, where the, the press isn't like pedal to the metal so much as the forwards are pretty aggressive, but we still leave space. Uh, if if the forwards are played around, we, we still drop our defensive line back in a more conservative manner. What you're saying is this is negatively affecting our ability to, to create chances. However, it's allowing us to be much more solid defensively because we're taking less risk, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And now the I think the best teams that we like over the last few years we've seen some great teams like City and Liverpool. I think they commit really high on their press. Um at least some editions of their sides have and they do it with the point of their press is so dominant that they actually concede less chances that way because they maintain the ball that much more and the opposition have that much less of a chance to create. I think we're saying we're not actually going to be able to take advantage of that. Um the press is not currently so effective that, you know, United can back it up with fullbacks and then go, we're going to concede less by doing this than by simply just having a good defense available when the press is broken. Um, so essentially going back to your point, I think if we're if you're less confident of breaking down a low block, I think having that sort of conservative, we're not going to give anything away approach is a good way to maximize the number of points you get at this stage of United's rebuild, if you're going to call it that. Um the other point I was going to make is set pieces. I think Erickson's introduction into the side has a big effect on this. Um, United have always had, I think, players who can score from set pieces, but it really does, a lot of it does come down to the fact that United now have an elite indirect set piece taker uh, in Erickson who is taking pretty much every set piece um, that a right footer should be taking. And... This was a big thing when Erickson joined Brentford as well. His XA, or expected assists, was really high, and a lot of it was not because he was playing in an advanced role like he did at Spurs. It was because he took set pieces, and Brentford looked to maximize their output from set pieces. So I think Erickson's inclusion is a big reason why United are scoring more from set pieces as well. Um, And I, I know the Rashford one against Nottingham Forest looks like a really menial set piece, but... It is more complicated than that, right? Like, there's there's a lot at play there. Um, and United created that chance again against Wolves. Um, it was less on the ground, but Casemiro has a header that's deflected over the bar from the same thing where they create chaos and the, and the run from Casemiro is the same as the run Rashford made and the ball is onto his head instead of onto Rashford's foot, right? But having that level of precision is super important when you're having routine, when you're creating set-piece routines like that. Um other than that, yeah, I agree with your points, right? Like the set pieces and the solid defensive platform and a decent amount of creativity against a block is a huge amount of progress um, in being able to win most of these games. And the vast majority of teams in Europe are not doing that already. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, an uneventful, but positive first half, I think if the second half had gone the same way the first half had been, it would have been, you know, less, less exciting match, but probably overall a better performance. Uh, you get into the second half and the first 10 minutes of the second half, United are all over Bournemouth trying to, trying to put the game away. Uh, they create a great chance uh, early on. They don't put it away. But immediately after, sort of this big flowing move uh, that ends with uh, Garnacho cutting the ball back for Shaw. Uh, great football. Uh, but the game was wide open during this period. And after United get the second goal, they sort of pay for this, this pedal to the metal approach, or almost pay for it, uh, because... In, in the words of the manager, basically the, the, the team got split into five attackers, five defenders. The front four, really Erickson I felt was still doing pretty well out of possession, but the front four of uh, Bruno, Garnacho, Rashford, Martial at this point basically stopped playing defen- defense entirely. In particular, Martial, Bruno, and Rashford become very, very lazy about tracking and pressing. Um, and what it creates is uh, this environment where well, really, there's two things. They get lazy about the tracking and pressing, but what that actually comes from is the, f- the fact that when they re- were receiving the ball, they were trying to increase the pace of play immediately, always trying to sort of turn these transitional moments into goals um, rather than slowing down the pace occasionally, which A, would have helped conserve their energy and B, would have helped keep the team together as a unit. Uh, but instead, Bruno in particular and Rashford were both trying to force the issue and in doing so they also made some pretty bad uh choices in in transition and so they would lose the ball and what would have been goal scoring opportunities and then not press and what that did was it stretched the pitch you lo- then you lose the ball and you leave the back five back six pretty isolated um and that's how Bournemouth created these chances the, almost all of Bournemouth's chances were uh either from the wingers getting too high uh Really, that, that's what it was. The wingers getting too high and then Shaw getting overloaded on the right uh, and then having a free man to cross the ball. Uh, there was one other chance that United conceded in this match where Bournemouth are sort of vaguely pressing. It's not a particularly good press, but De Gea gives the ball back to Erickson in a bad spot. He boots it up the field for Martial. Martial can't control it, uh, and Wan-Bissaka gets caught too high, uh, and that leaves uh, Maguire in space, which is never a good thing. He overcommits a little bit, though ultimately he was marking two men, so it's sort of a difficult uh, situation. And Bournemouth get their only big chance on the ground in the match. Uh, and that all of this happens within sort of a 15-minute period. Uh, that was an exciting period of the match. United looked close to scoring a third uh, throughout that period. But really, I'd say it was awful game management uh, by the forwards. And I think that's a, an opinion shared by the coaching staff based on some of the comments we heard after the match where one of the main talking points uh, was that not only that the the team got split into two units, but that there were a lot of instances where uh, the attackers should have slowed the game, slowed the match down more uh, and tried to control it rather than trying to make it end to end and score a third. We got greedy in short. Uh, And I think that made it probably one of the worst defensive stretches we've had certainly since 
the the, the World Cup break, and if not, uh, even stretching on before that uh, to the Villa match. Yeah, I agree with that for the most part. I think one sort of detail that I would add is I think a lot of this sort of United play of the last, I don't know, probably since Solskjaer joined, has been, uh, in transition, has been a lot of, like, if there's no obvious option in behind, let's create the fastest shot. Um, So you, you said, like, you know, the instinct was as soon as you win the ball to try and create a goal and you have to be patient. I agree with that. Um, But I think in the players' minds, it's create a goal and you create a goal by creating a shot. And I think that's like a small adjustment that if you fix, you also become better um, defensively and you create more goals because you're losing the ball less if you make the better decision of just trying to create the best shot possible, even in transition moments, right? It's easy to think transitions don't last very long. Get the shot off. It's done. But there were so many plays where United could have made one extra pass that would have raised the the shot quality by a huge amount. Um, I think Garnacho, Casemiro, Bruno, Rashford all had multiple plays where they would get themselves into a really good position in transition, like a great run or a great pass. And instead of just looking up and seeing the other players running in behind, especially after Alango came on, he was making some great runs, they were just like, fire the shot. And that kills the attack because you most often miss, gives the opposition the ball back. Um, like Kay said, it does not slow down the play at all for the defense. It just sends the play straight back your way. And then they weren't tracking properly. Um, so I think this sort of greedy attitude and transition is not only hurting the defense, but also hurting the attack in the in the aggregate. Potentially true. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here. I think there were definitely some bad shooting decisions, and I don't disagree with that. Uh, and in those instances, obviously, looking for a better pass should have done. I also think a lot of the bad decisions were instances where, like a Hollywood pass, would have split the defense open, and they tried for it. In particular, Bruno did this a few times, but Rashford did too. Um, and I think that is is also a remnant of, of volleyball in that, you know, we play these really, like, I think the reason we have so many people in the fan base have such positive memories of it is because it was fun, and it was fun because there were matches where we, like, we opened up, anytime we go ahead, we would open up the match and try to get two or three or four. And sometimes it would bite us in in the rear end. And other times uh, we'd score three or four and it'd be very, very fun. I, I remember in particular an, the Norit, Sociedad, Roma, uh, Milan. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of them. Uh, Norwich City in the league multiple times. Uh, but the... And a big part of that was, you know, forcing the ball forward in these, creating these stretched game states. But it wasn't just because of shooting. It was because of, you know, this, this, this perception, this correct perception that uh, when you have an opposition defensive line isolated, the easiest way to score is to, you know, uh, get behind them. The thing is, when you're 2-0 ahead, the risk-reward changes. 
uh, where if the ball isn't an easy ball to play, you probably shouldn't be playing it uh, if you're going to leave the defense exposed. And I think that was that was the real thing I'd want to see change. The shooting, totally, I'm with you. We've talked about it a million times. Um, but I think the key thing here is seeing Bruno and Rashford. And again, you're right. We, we do talk negatively about Bruno, probably disproportionately so. Uh, but it's just he has such a huge impact on how we play. Um, and yeah, seeing him and Rashford just realize that there's, we don't desperately need a third. Uh, and, and that's not to say don't try to score a third. It just means every possible opportunity you get doesn't, you don't necessarily need to take it, especially if it means you're going to be too tired to run back on defense. But yeah, it, it's a nitpick. Uh, I think we're on the same page here. So yeah. So being theoretical about this, um, you're essentially saying as your lead in the match grows, your incentive to score versus incentive to not concede changes. Trying these difficult actions that more often lead to losing the ball do not make up as high of a proportion of the chances in transition as the players sort of intuitively think they do. And as a result, it makes more sense to be patient, keep the ball, don't give the opposition a way back into the match. And then if you have a really clear option to create chances, which there still will be many because they're transitions and the opposition are committing men forward, then to capitalize on those. Yeah. Ultimately, I think it's a... You know, as the team grows in maturity uh, and experience with this setup, we will get better at this because it struck me as a bit of naivete um, in, yeah, it's just, it's just in the notion that just recognizing that they had limited energy uh, and that the reward for spending all of that energy was minimal. Awesome. Um, before we wrap up, thoughts on Luke Shaw? Yeah, it was. he's been incredible. Uh, first as a center back, right? And then uh, two incredible. I mean, he, he, he scored an, an assist and had a second assist, I guess. Uh, but an assist in spirit uh, in that Bournemouth match. Uh, for the third goal. Um, yeah, he's just incredible. He's one of our best players. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't I don't think that was really ever in doubt. I, I think the discourse is actually more inconsistent than he is, um, if that makes sense. Like, obviously, he's been better now than he was a year ago. There's no doubting that, but... I don't think that's just his level changing so much as, you know, circumstances have changed and it allows him to do a lot more. Um, yeah, I, I, he's been incredible. What did you think about Maguire in this match? Yeah, defensively, I don't think he was bad. Um, there were a couple of moments where he overcommitted and uh, and I think Bournemouth got a shot off, but for the most part, I thought he was a covering a lot of space and b 
did so relatively fine. My main sort of concern with Maguire at this point is that he doesn't look that comfortable on the ball. I don't know if it's the fact that he's playing on the right versus on the left. I think that would be my number one sort of hypothesis is it's because he's playing on the right and not the left. On the left, he can sort of receive with the ball like angled away from him. And so he has a natural shield for players pressing towards him on the front side. And therefore he has more time on the ball um, to both carry out and make a pass. I think that's actually also why Ten Hag is not playing him there is because the idea is that he gets the pass off really quickly and can really easily access the fullback with his right foot with with one touch, I think he's actually right? said that. I and think he's mentioned that he prefers the passing angles that McGuire has at right center back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He Well, it's clear in Ten Hag's like, list of beliefs, I guess, that he prefers a right footer at right center back and a left footer at left center back, right? And, and it's clear why. Um, and I think he's a better passer than Lindelof pretty much indisputably, which is why he plays on the right and Lindelof plays on the left. Um, I just don't think he's either comfortable yet or comfortable period not having that crutch of essentially having more time on the ball as a result of playing at left center back. Yeah, I don't think he was as poor defensively as you might have thought based on the fact that uh, he was the closest defender for all three of Bournemouth's big chances in this match. Uh, mostly because, again, the the attackers really created sort of these imbalances, these overloads on both the right and left wings uh, in those transitional yeah, situations. Yeah, and I think Wambasaka also got lost a lot. Yeah, so that, exact, that, yeah, that's what I was going to get to is um, it put Wambasaka in weird situations um, that he handled poorly that as a result put Maguire... Maguire was doubled up twice. And then in another situation... Uh, he wasn't doubled up, but he was marking the man in front of him. And Wambasaka should have been marking the man behind him, and he was just marking no one. Um, so not technically doubled up, because there was a, there was somebody uh, there behind him, uh, but not doing his job. So, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, he did overcommit, like you said, multiple times. I definitely don't think he covered himself in glory here. Uh, I think it, it'll be pretty easy to drop him again. Um, but it, it's okay if these are the performances he's going to, these are the performances he's going to put in, I think. I think we have some cool stuff planned for you over the next few weeks, starting with the double feature cup tie that will hopefully end in success on both fronts. As long as it does land up in success, we will look back at it as just two matches on the road to the quadruple. So with that said, have a great week. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.